Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm Max Tarrant. I'm William Chan. And I'm Sarah Watt. Now, usually each month at Cinema in Context, we would discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection between. Could be a director, lead actor, or theme. But we are breaking protocol this month, and it's because it is the end of the year, our first year doing this podcast, and we thought we would come prepared with our top five films from the year, and one wild card. So that wild card film could be the worst film of the year, it could be a guilty pleasure, or it could be merely a sixth film that we wanted to sneak into the discussion. Uh, And... It's also worth mentioning that we are recording this at a time where there are still films to come out. So I think the bigger films that haven't come out this year is the new Star Wars film. We've got Moana comes out near the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, any other films that we should mention? I still haven't seen Nocturnal Animals. Animals, Nocturnal. And I think that, Animals. that could well sneak into my top five. Actually. So that, that came out this week, didn't it? Uh, yes, it did last yep. Thursday. And uh, La La Land, I think, is yet to be released. Yeah. Is that, does that come out in January for us? Uh, I think, it's, I think it comes out on Christmas or Boxing Day. Yeah. Okay. So I guess the point is there are some films here which are kind of in the grey zone, which, which probably won't make the list for next year, and we're not going to discuss them in this podcast. Um, but the way we're going to do it is we're going to each talk about our fifth, fourth, and third top picks. Uh, <laughs> then we will uh, reveal our top two films from the year. And then finish up with a bit of a discussion about our wild cards, whatever that's going to mean. But let's start with Max. Max, what are your three three bottom picks in your top five? Oh, thank you so much for a fantastic introduction there, Jeremy. Oh, you know. oh, you're just getting better and better at this. <laughs> so much confidence and verve. Um, my, my fifth pick, not my bottom pick, because this is our top five, was Handmaiden. Um, so we watched that relatively recently. This is Park Wook Chan. Uh, this is a film about um, a girl who deals with domination in her family, some messed up BDSM, uh, some dark stuff. Uh, this is in Korea that has been colonized by Japan. Uh, beautiful scenery, fantastically shot, um, and just a great fun film, I thought. Uh, I know that you loved it as mm-hmm. well, William. We will uh, talk about it momentarily. Uh, very good. Mm-hmm. Well, I think if it's on your list as well, we should... Yeah, might as well jump it into now. it. Right now? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Later on. Oh, right. Oh, <laughs> right. It's much higher than... Yeah, okay. Because you've seen Handmaiden? Yes, I have. I didn't have to review it, so I, 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 I would say it probably was a guilty pleasure because I just got to sit there and soak it up. I hope mm. that's not a little secret you're giving away there. <laughs> it isn't at all. It's oh, okay. not in my, it's not no, in my list, it's actually. Not on your list? It's okay. not. Um, this is quite a fun little game, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> at least for us. I don't know if it is for you guys out there. But. <laughs> because, yeah, we haven't spoiled it to one another uh, for our listeners just to know. No, we don't know what we're going to come up with, so this, mm-hmm. is a, this is as big a revelation for us as it is for you. In fact, a few weeks ago, William and I, we were, um, we were at, a, at a social event and we'd had a few drinks and William said, okay, I'm going to tell you my top five films. And, and I thought, okay, cool, he's going to tell me my top five, his top five films of all time. And then I started seeing this theme that they were all connected to this year. I was like, no! Don't no. say anymore! Save it for the podcast. Um, um, I haven't seen Handmaid's Tale, and I love that director, so I'm really looking forward to, yeah. to seeing mm-hmm. if I actually should have included it in my top five when I get to watching it. Yeah, well, the South Korean directors are doing some amazing stuff with Train mm-hmm. to Busan this year as well, which oh, is yeah. also um, very cool. Um, my top, my my fourth film was Tickled. Mm. Loved Tickled. Awesome. Great film. Yeah. Um, I love these themes of um, 
fighting what is it uh, David versus Goliath mm-hmm. fighting the bigger the big old man in the room um, that's a weird mix up of um, the irony is things, in, in but... Tickled it's David versus David of course yeah. oh, because you know it's David Farrier against yes um, David what's his name you know the yes, guy yes, anyway yeah. so, we should yeah. know that name it yeah. should be a famous name that rolls off our lips and we but like, like using it as a Cosby yeah yeah <laughs> and you call people, oh, call people that when they're being real dickheads or something yeah that's like that. right oh you're such a David yeah, yeah. yeah but now I'm thinking also David Muscovich um, who's the head of Scientology mm. yeah right so yeah. actually you know it all rolls to do it <laughs> yeah it does anyway. and then David David Ferrier started following up um, on a much smaller scale, I'd imagine, some annoying person in Ponsonby. Did you guys hear about that story? Oh, it was probably going off track too much, but <laughs> it was an interesting story when it came around and some person that owns a, like, a classic shop was making a whole lot of money out of giving people tickets who were parking in his parking spot. And he yeah. was doing it with a rampant glee. Yeah. He <laughs> loved it and he was, he was really being nasty about it. Anyway. Because it's just on Tickled, I really ummed an ad about Tickled on my list. Mm-hmm. I, okay. I, it almost made my, my top five and it hasn't. And I think um, I, really, I really enjoyed that film. I, I think the, just the darkness of it, mm. it, it just means that I'm not going to go back and rewatch it very often. Mm. Yeah. I like, I, like, I like the pooning around America as well. I always like the films with a, a dark tone, American, mm-hmm. um, kind of gritty underworld <laughs> of what's going on in America. Yeah. Um, critical kind of lens. And then, yeah, and, and, and having that in a really realistic way set in America and we're seeing America, we're traveling around America, seeing these factories and seeing these different landscapes. And like a people. Michael Moore movie. Like yeah. It takes us back to Flint time mm-hmm. and time again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sure. So I loved that. Um, what was your do, do you think? Do you think? Well, do you think it's going to be? Do you think it will get into the Oscars race? I don't know. There's been some flipping good documentaries yeah. this year. A lot of good documentaries, but also a lot of uh, talk about Tickled recently mm. um, on podcasts and, and other film sites. The controversy of it should do it, and it's still going on, right? Yeah, uh, it's a great premise. It's just <laughs> such a great premise. Like yeah. it's just such a such a mystery, isn't it? Like, it's, and I wonder whether I, I I think it has a chance, perhaps. In, in post-Trumpian, it's unfortunately, yeah, we're not, we're not post, post-Trumpian, are we? We're, we're in it. But, you know, in Trumpian <laughs> America, because it seems to me that a lot of the Oscar documentaries are quite worthy mm. and that they are, um, in, you know, in previous years, obviously, they've, they've gone to war-torn countries or dealt with the Holocaust or whatever. And so some might have dismissed Tickled as being almost not it's not trivial and we've talked about how dark it is and we did an extensive podcast on it but uh, you know it's being oh well it's just really about people being a bit mean to each other Mm -hmm. but I wonder whether because the current climate is so tuned into the way that we treat one another poorly and the way that our leaders treat people poorly Mm -hmm. that actually it might have a much greater resonance and therefore might have a shot Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean I, I feel as though the Oscar vote the Oscar uh, the Academy will be looking for sort of worthy messages and that kind of thing. So maybe yeah. this is on Tickled's mm. side, regrettably, you know. But and yeah. and it's, it's one of those things where a film that is actually quite fun to watch, even though it is very dark, mm-hmm. like there's, a, there's, a, there's an element of, not voyeurism, but, you know, it's, yep. it's like a wild ride, isn't it? And, yeah. and I think that documentaries aren't always described in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, t- Tickled was also, um, it was squeezed out of my top five, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I... I I loved it, but I think the the fact that it doesn't really have an ending kind of hurts it uh, for me. And that's anyway. how I felt as well, yeah. which oh, is really? why I, I, I yeah. docked it half a star, simply uh-huh. because it, it didn't resolve the way that... <laughs> I, I don't know, I felt that it did with the, with, the, with the phone call at the end. 
I thought the phone call was yeah. quite a nice way to oh, end yeah. it, and that it completely undercut everything that was going on, mm. and it flipped my view of yeah. that mm-hmm. villain. But it didn't take it any further. I remember we spoke about it in the podcast. Did it have a duty to then investigate mm. why is David, whatever his name is, like that? Mm. Or actually, no, maybe it doesn't, because it isn't about him as much as the damage that he has done. Yeah, and I was thinking about it. Maybe maybe the ending to the movie is what's happening like right now in real life. Yeah. Wow. Because there's, there's oh, so much wow, more cool. crazy, well, crazy well, stuff. The fact that he went and watched the film, there's a yeah. video of him mm-hmm. in the q and I yeah. just love that. He's suing everyone, and yeah, yeah. Mm. but he's so kind of like jovial yeah. about it. He's like, oh, he's just so lawyer up. I'm coming after you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for watch. Thanks for the film. It was a good watch. And but lawyer yeah. up, and off he walks with his popcorn. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, so what's your um? Yeah, your number third. three. Number three goes to Zootopia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so far I've got. Um, no, sorry, I thought we had all films that we'd talked about in the podcast. We hadn't talked about Handmaiden, but Zootopia uh, is number three. Um, Speaking of um, post-Trump films, eh? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, Zootopia is, is on my list. And um, mine. So yeah, we it's can in talk my top five as well. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I had it as number five. And Zootopia Same. was dropping off and coming back on. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do feel like it was, it's was it been one of the most significant films of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only reason it dropped off is because of um, its, inc- its pop-cultural... I mean, we talked about it when we did the podcast on this. The pop culture jokes kind of, for me, mm. cheapened it a little bit. But oh, I love that okay. film. Whereas yeah. the pop cultural comments on it, for me, gave me that delight in it. And I, but I think the reason it, it's, um, it was five stars for me and it's in my top five is because I can return to it time and again. I mean, it was one of the few films this year I got a chance to see twice mm. uh, and enjoyed just as much the second time. Mm. So I think for me, the, my judgment's often on sort of an, uh, an not an endurability, but um, no, that's not the word for it at all, really, but uh, repeatability, I suppose. Mm. I, but, uh, I do feel, um, I mean, probably the reason it's in my top five is because it deals with these issues in a complicated way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, we talked about it at the time of kind of, I felt there was really something interesting about the fact that the enemy in this film is kind of dispersed, it's behind everything and we're still not really sure what's going on mm-hmm. um, and I love that, that it's trying to think about the enemy as around us, and mm. thinking about the corruption in society, etc um, but I do actually, now that you say that I, I'm a little bit worried that in the future I might look back and go it, because I think this is going to be an issue and a theme for the next foreseeable future yeah. mm-hmm. four years people are going to be dealing with it in more and more in-depth ways and I wonder yeah. if it might get swamped because it's going to be progressing so fast mm. but or you could say that it was brilliant foreshadowing For a, yeah. because yep. it must have been written in 2014 possibly yeah. mm-hmm. or at very latest 2015 yeah. Yeah. Um, and we all know that animation takes a dog's Yikes. age to, um, to create right so perhaps it was just sort of horrifically on point but yeah. as you say you've got this sort of innocuous scene baddie mm-hmm. behind yeah. actually influencing society to turn on one another yeah. and suddenly I mean I hate to go on and on but honestly this whole it's horrifying even with the text that I'm teaching at school mm-hmm. and my students are just going into their NCEA exams and suddenly Trump is becoming the most perfect example of that wider world understanding that they have to apply to their texts because mm-hmm. unfortunately he covers all bases from sort of corrupted <laughs> thinking to uh, racial stereotyping to, to everything. Yeah. And again with Zootopia, if you remember, it was like, um, uh, I can't remember now the terms they used for, was it savage versus 
prey or, or something. Predator. Predator, 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 predator versus prey. prey. Yeah. And we all read the sort of the racial undertones of, mm-hmm. of Zootopia. Mm. Um, but actually, fast forward, you know, six months, however many months it's been, mm-hmm. um, and suddenly all Mexicans are rapists and Muslims need to be kept out of the, out of the country and same sort of thing, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe Zootopia will endure because it was prescient and, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, sadly, it's, it's going to be sort of applicable for at least four years. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, for, for me, Zootopia, I, I liked it a lot, and I'm, I'm a huge sucker for, for animated movies. Um, but it's one of those, those movies that the more I think about it, the slightly less I like it. Oh, um, right. It just, to me, it felt very messy at the end. You can kind of see the behind-the-scenes stuff of a movie being rewritten at the last minute. Right. Um, it didn't come together as much as I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's still really, really good. But it's not in your top. Five. It's not in my no. top five. Just on that, with the, I'm the opposite with animated films. Mm-hmm. Don't not usually ah. the things that I really go for. No. Mm-hmm. So this is in some ways that's quite a big statement to put it at number three. Mm, yeah, nice. So, and, and and yeah, mine's at, certainly in my three, four, or five. And mm-hmm. so same same mm-hmm. goes. It's not mm-hmm. really the thing that mm-hmm. I go for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was so compelled by and it. It's quite weird as well because it's it, it, even though it is such a critical kind of issue and themes that are going on there, it does it deal with it in a relatively light-hearted way, eh? Yeah. I think that's its main strength. Um, and also that really, really, really catchy song. My, my students still play it all the time. See, I don't like the song, and so that's, that's part of my reason of like, oh, that song. Oh, yeah, but I, know yeah. people, yeah, I liked I it. it. See, no. everything is awesome. I would smash you over the head. Oh, yeah, I, like I, I, I love that, that as well. <laughs> so the Lego movie was really not up to scratch for me at all, whereas the... Um, but, but, but the, Sarah, it's, it's ironic, and I that's why it's care. great. It's annoying. But Shakira singing that wonderful Zootopia song <laughs> as, the, oh, as oh. the train swooshes in through the, you know, we yeah. talked about the world oh, building. so good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> all right, William, let's move on to you. So what are your bottom... Th- I shouldn't really call them bottom three picks. Okay, so... Uh, your runners-up. Runners up. Okay, number five, Green Room uh, by Jeremy Solier. Uh, gosh, what, what a what a movie, you guys! What a movie! I went to see with um, see this with Max at the film fest, and just blown away. I think all all five of my picks have been movies that have really made me feel. Yeah. Um, more so than just at an intellectual level, like oh yeah, that was fun. Or, I like the story. I love um, that, William. Yeah. Oh, yes. I'm really into that kind of vibe of. Feeling versus, I mean, cerebral is nice. Versus but, yeah. appreciation. Eh? Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. A, that's definitely it. Um, yeah, every single one I'm looking through my list has made me feel in a way that transcends just watching a movie. Yeah. Um, so my, my five is Green Room. My fourth, related to Green Room, is 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, I wow. almost I almost put that on my list as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Mm. Uh, I saw that very recently, and I think both these movies... Uh, share a lot of the same strengths. They're mm. both very claustrophobic. Mm. Um, they're they're just, kind of one room. Uh, one room yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, a lot of threats of violence. Um, uh, the audience is, in both movies are given information piecemeal. Yep. Um, so we discover what the space is like as the characters themselves yeah, discover nice. it. Yeah. Um, and we discover the intricacies of the character as the characters as, discover it. Exactly, right? exactly. in both of them, we're a bit wrong-footed. Mm-hmm. Who do we trust? Who do we trust? Oh, okay, they're okay. Oh, no, wait, they're not okay. Yeah. And so on. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And just so much fun to learn with the characters. Yeah. Uh, very, very cool. And Mary, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, I always mm. really like her work. And she sort of flips around random. Her, her kind of yeah. films that she's done are very interesting. She, mm-hmm. she seems to be in cult 
um, cult sort of films quite often. She does. She does uh, a good job. With I them. mean, she was also in the film that was knocked off my, my top five. Um, uh, what's it called Swiss Army Man, um, and she's she has a very small role in that, but she's very very good. Mm, mm. Yeah, cool. Um, How do you feel about the violence in that in Green Room? Oh, in Green Room, uh, I thought it was just right, um, and that it wasn't. Uh, it was almost not gratuitous. There were bits where it edged over and like, whoa, what is happening here? Mm. Uh, but but I felt like that. It's funny that kind of grounds everything, um, mm, and it's it's mm. not. It's not really there to be shocking, apart from maybe one scene uh, where the guy gets hit with a shotgun. Mm. Um, but no, I like I'm not usually one for for ultra violence or gore, mm. but I, I thought everything was just just right. I'm so much more critical of violence use after watching Funny Games. Oh. <laughs> I've not gone to. I haven't. I haven't, I haven't gone stomached either. either Funny Games. <laughs> I haven't seen them. So great. Like, it don't, changed don't, my view on things. Don't, don't you see? The audience is us. <laughs> yeah. What was was that in Handmaiden? That we was. About that. So, sorry. Yep. We probably shouldn't flip around all the time. <laughs> but but at the end of Handmaiden. There's a scene which is very voyeuristic, and the whole the whole, the of whole thing, is the whole thing is voyeuristic. <laughs> but that is just a inter- very interesting point that we need to drop in. That there is a great little uh, resonance of, of, of yeah of, of, of the funny games, funny and fa- funny games. No, is this a massive spoiler? Yeah, I haven't seen it, so don't. Okay, okay. No, okay. okay. I'll leave it there. Sorry, so the violence in Green Room. That's mm-hmm. right. I have to say, I am on board with you 100%. Um, without wanting to spoil where we're going with this, Green Room is slightly higher up my list. Um, and I absolutely <laughs> freaking loved it. And I went back mm. and saw it a second time. And I remember turning to my husband moments in and going, I feel the same. Because I didn't know whether I'd be slightly inured to it because I knew what was going to happen. And I mm. felt the same visceral mm. thrill through the whole thing. And I'm not into gratuitous violence. I don't enjoy exploitation movies. Um, and I thought it was terrific. And I can't really articulate why or how it was pitch perfect, but I agree with you, William. And I wonder whether part of it is that the violence absolutely positions the viewer as to how big of a deal this mm. is. It's, it, those are the stakes because this is what we're seeing. Yeah. And because it doesn't shy away from anything, um, I, I, wonder, I, I reckon that contributes to our, our audience feeling mm-hmm. of holy heck, this is really serious, and, um, and I'm completely invested in what happens, yeah. you know. But I have a very, very, um, very, very cinephiliac, cinephiliac, cerebral, great appreciator of movies, female friend, who just thought it was awful and deplorable oh, and couldn't appreciate it at all. And she knows her movies, mm-hmm. so I can understand how um, people would respond to it differently. That's, it's similar to, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Oh yeah, yeah. And and just the polar reactions people had, who mm. either hooked into the satire and were like, "This is great," mm-hmm. or just felt that everything the film was trying to comment on was sort of De- deplorable. Or, yeah, to it was kind of, term. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was sort of pushing. It was actually not as self-referential as it was but, kind of hoping to be. Yeah. Is, is do you find Green Room really? Um, do you think it is making a strong commentary? No. Uh, definitely not. No. That's, I think that's and, why it didn't come into... And Jeremy I was kind of gearing up for, like, yeah. to be convinced there, but... Um, no, I don't think... No. I, don't think I, I think that's why if, it didn't get into my top five. If, no. if it was making commentary, it was just talking about the banality of evil, like, the, yeah. how the bad guys were portrayed. I loved it. It yeah. was just very matter-of-fact, like, 
they weren't uh, they were bad, but they weren't bad for the sake of being bad. That's no. just how they, they were. They were just ordinary people, ordinary yeah. skinheads. And they, in they, the of they needed to USA. solve a problem, yeah. and the most efficient way of doing so was killing a bunch of kids. Like that yeah. was, yeah. And they it wasn't like they wanted to, but that's just how healthy. And, and the nice that. thing about the characterization, and Jeremy Saunier always does this, mm-hmm. is um, is the fact that some of the, the the sort of the baddies in inverted commas, well, they were baddies. Mm-hmm. Take away the inverted commas, um, actually were totally portrayed as real people mm-hmm. as well, and a little bit doubtful. And um, that beautiful scene where. Um, um, Macon Blair, I always say his name wrong, but um, where he's done a good job for the head um, white supremacist and the white supremacist, uh, who's played by Patrick Stewart rather beautifully, mm-hmm. gives him a pair of the red shoelaces, which mm-hmm. demonstrates that now you have entered into a, a higher echelon within our organisation. And he's so, Macon Blair is like, thank you so much, this means such a lot yeah. to me. And the humility and the beauty in that, and in his little character, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he is a card-carrying white supremacist who, who will murder if he has to, is, mm-hmm. I think, really beautifully done. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Um, and my number three pick, uh, Kubo and the Two Strings by oh, Travis Knight. Um, cool. Gosh, I love this movie. It, um, it has a lot of script problems, I will give you that. Yeah. And I think uh, for Lipers movies, like every single one of them, well, maybe not Caroline, but for, for Caroline... Um, for Box Trolls, for, um, what was the other one? For Paranorman, which I loved as well. Uh, and Kubo, it seems like they, they all value visuals and tone and emotion much more than they value story. And I think it's their weakness, but it's also one of their greatest strengths. Like you, have, have you guys seen this movie? No, oh, I've seen Kubo, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, guys, I haven't. No, I haven't seen it. It is a, uh, well, first of all, it's the most technically, like, ambitious stop motion project ever made. Um, I think it has the biggest stop motion armature ever made, which is like a, a six foot high skeleton that they had to manipulate a frame at a time. Um, mm-hmm. And the whole thing, it, so it, it's set in a, a very Japanese styled setting. Um, it's a quest narrative, so very much like Legend of Zelda, a kid has to go and collect these pieces of magical armor to defeat a, a magical baddie. Um, but just how all that it's laid out, it's it's very dreamlike. The visuals are astounding. Mm. The, the whole theme, the visual theme is origami. Mm. And so Kubo's magical powers, he uses his, uh, his shamisen, uh, music from his shamisen to fold paper. Mm. And everything on screen, well, the majority of what you've seen on screen is just, it's stop motion brilliance. Wow. Um, and so watching the movie, I was watching with a friend and just going, ooh, ah, yeah. oh, through yeah. the whole thing. The color palette they use. The, the final thematic like resonance at the end also really, really satisfyingly done. Mm. Um, uh, Reminds me of a lot of Miyazaki movies. Mm. And the bad guy is Who's very great. I know, again, again. Yeah, it's been a really strong year for animation. I mean, two oh, yeah. of my top films animated, one of them being Zootopia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, one film I was sort of been floating around for a while in terms of great films is The Little Prince, which yes. mixes... But stop animation with and CGI, animation. yeah. So it's been a animation's had a good year. It's been really, really good. Um, so yeah, Kubo's my number three. Uh, I could not stop thinking about this movie after I'd seen it. I was looking through all the special features and seeing mm. how how much work. Oh I my gosh! Yeah, yeah. Uh, the music's great. The art is great. The voice mm. acting is mostly pretty good, although there's some whitewashing issues with that, which mm. we won't get into. Um, yeah, really, really enjoyed that movie. My being not as um, knowledgeable about animation or as passionate mm. as you, William, when I saw it, 
because now I'm used to CGI. I'm mm-hmm. used to computer-generated, really good animation where hair looks like hair and stuff. And I, hadn't, I didn't appreciate going in that it was mm-hmm. um, stop motion. So I was like, wow, that paper looks like paper. <laughs> and Doug was like, it is paper. <laughs> and I was like, wow. You know, it seemed really strange to have gone from yeah. growing up with animation that looked quite sort of, in hindsight, clumsy, mm-hmm. Into something that's extraordinary but all fake, and then back into something that's real. You yeah, know what I mean? Cool. It throws you yeah. quite a bit to go. Oh, <laughs> it looks real because it is real. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And just one final thing about Kubo is uh, the title "Kubo and the Two Strings." When the moment in the movie when I realized what the title meant was uh, one of the great moments in the movies for me. Going, oh, you guys are clever. Ah, cool. Yeah. Very, oh, no spoilers then. No spoilers. Yeah. No, okay. no spoilers. It's um, it's very yeah, very character focused, and I, I do like that. Excellent. Oh, Sarah, what's your, what's your uh, three runner-ups? So we've covered off Zootopia, which is great. And, and I, as I mentioned, for me, probably to have... I'm not being snobby about animation, mm. but, you know, and just I'm not... Just a, a taste thing? Well, no, I suppose. It's... I don't know. It's just that I do remember Zootopia being so compelling for an animated film for mm. me, you know. But, I mean, I did a quick count. I've so far this year reviewed 84 films. Mm. Reviewed 84. I've seen Mm. many more than that. But I actually had to form an opinion and put stars against 84 films. Um, And so the easiest thing for me in compiling this list is going through my five-star films and then looking at my Mm 4.5s. And and, and actually, that's really useful for me because I've now got my 20, which I'll have to do for the paper in a a couple of weeks' time. But um, So Zootopia, I gave five stars, so it has to be in there. Um, so in my fifth, fourth, and third place, I've got um, an adaptation of a best-selling novel, an animated movie, and <clears throat> surprise mainly to me, a Marvel comic Holy book cow. story. And I, for some, maybe I'm tired. I think I'm tired. But <laughs> basically, when I saw Doctor Strange, um, I just went. I love everything about this. Yeah, I'm engaged in everything. The fighting is not going on too long. The dialogue is not full of cliches. This mm. is just how I was like absorbing it. I agree. Benedict Cumberbatch's Christmas. Um, <laughs> even I can even I can even bear Tilda Swinton yet again <laughs> in some role. You know, flipping Chiwetel Ejiofor with. Have you all seen Doctor yes, Strange? Yes, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. it is pretty. Um, awesome. And so Chiwetel Ejiofor, and I know it was spoiled in the in the trailer, but you know, handing him this little this. Uh, this word yeah. uh, on a piece of paper when he's checking Benedict Cum- oh, Doctor Strange into the, uh, the sort of monastery, for want of a better term, mm-hmm. and uh, and very cynical Doctor Strange saying, "What's this? Um, is this my new mantra?" And he's like, "No, it's the Wi-Fi password. Yeah. We're not completely uncivilized or something like that." And I just loved the levity in the in the script that went along with, for me actually, not hokum kind of spiritual ideas but something that actually made quite a lot of sense it was a real there was a real pleasure in watching this cynical man of science uh turn if you know mm-hmm. what i mean um so i loved it yeah i mean it was it was in my top five until the, my most recent film knocked it out and it was it was just i'm so sick of marvel films mm, i go along and watch same. them yeah i go along and watch them and but i still i, I went into it being ready and it was still a marvel film mm-hmm. but it was it was so much fun. It was just so much fun. Yeah. And just, 
And it looked great. It was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. It was like Inception meets Harry Potter meets Marvel. (laughs) Yeah. With good acting. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I really liked... um, I mean, it had all the tropes. You had the girl and the superhero and things. But Rachel McAdams' character was great. I love her. She did a great job. Mm. um, Although she's so sidelined. Yeah, she's she's so great. Yeah. But yeah, but at least she's great, eh? She's not like... And their relationship is complicated, you know? They really love each other and they admit it, but they kind of... Also recognise that they're they can't they're, get it they're, they're just friends because it's just too messy and yeah. Um, and Benedict Cumberpatch, he like I think about where he's come from. Like, was it five years ago he was in Sherlock and no, I didn't even know who he was. He was in and Atonement uh, as the the creepy like. Pedophile. Oh, he was too. Yeah. Yes, he was, and it's interesting because on their first viewing of Atonement, I didn't recognise him, and subsequent viewings, I'm like, hey, there's Benedict. Yeah. But in actual fact, when I was living in England, he was um, he played Stephen Hawking. Yeah. Uh, in about, uh, a, I think it was a 2004 TV sort uh, of um, thingy of it, mm-hmm. um, and he was absolutely brilliant. And so that I like to say, well, I've known Benedict since two <laughs> long before Sherlock. Yeah. Um, but you're right; he has definitely, in, in the last five years, exploded because mm. he was also in Star Trek. Yeah. Um, Edge, Edge of Darkness, Into uh, Darkness, Into Darkness, yeah. Out of Darkness. <laughs> Not really sure. Yeah. Right. Um, Oh, and those special effects, you guys. Man, I i mean, Marvel movies, they always... Uh, they, they, you know, it's the same house style, right? Yeah. You see the, the metallic surfaces and um, the swooping camera movements, and it all looks pretty staid. But this, like... I So I uh, i haven't seen Jungle Book this year. Um, I hear it's pretty amazing, just the CGI. But given that, Doctor Strange was hands down, like, the best special effects I've seen all year. Mm. Very, very cool. Especially... I love the final fight. Uh, uh, very slight spoilers here, but there's a final confrontation in a city that's unexploding, and just oh, it's the, so beautiful! It's yeah, so yeah. Beautiful. it's sort of pieced back together almost, wow. and isn't clever, it? Yeah. and mm. you've just never that seen sound anything it's like so that before. Great. That's really good. Yeah, and um, what I will say though, just as a something that I that I thought of you guys the moment it happened, we had a discussion, and I don't know whether it was on a podcast or around the fringes of recording the podcast, about Marvel movies having music that mm-hmm. is the, pretty much identical yes. between yeah. the films. And this film had the, had the first use of their new Marvel Studios tag, which mm-hmm. rather than the flipping pages of a comic book, yeah. was, was clips from the various films. Yes, that yes, it did. Yeah. And the music was may as well have been from any of those movies because I was like, oh, it's just like they made like, <laughs> like you know, the Universal tag or the 20th Century Fox, we all know it. But this Marvel Studios, I couldn't even tell you because it just sounds like every Marvel <laughs> yeah. film. And I was like, well, that's kind of apt. Yeah. But actually the music was slightly more memorable It's pretty film. good, yeah. I mean, is it... Um... It's Michael Giacchino. Right, of course it is, yeah. which I love him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just, he's brilliant. So does it feel like Marvel's making changes in their films and taking in new Ooh. directions, or is it was it just this film that was a standout? It's still very much leading yeah. into Infinity War. Yeah, like with, they're just building. They're just they're, It's it's TV. Like it's what it's yeah. like watching three hundred yeah. two hundred fifty million dollar TV episodes. <laughs> you know, you go to the next. I've said this before. You go to the next episode of Marvel, and and I don't even. I've been back and tried to rewatch the earlier films, and they feel so. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't feel worthwhile. Mm. Anyways, what's your What's your um, third and my my other my other film is Room. This is the mm-hmm. novel adaptation. Um, I'd never read the book. Look, I could say that about almost every novel adapted uh, no- novel adapted film I see. Um, 
And so the beauty of that is that I did not know what was happening or, or that what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Did you chat see Room? Uh, no. I haven't seen it yet, but I've been told I need to. Is this the, the Brie Larson movie? Yes, it is. So Brie Larson, who won an Oscar for it, which is lovely because she's a young up-and-coming actress, mm-hmm. um, she plays... So the front, front end of the movie um, is her in a room with her five-year-old son. Oh, yes, I have seen it. And the five-year-old son was played by, a, I think, a, a, a young chap who's probably seven at the age of filming called Jacob Tremblay, or Tremblay, who is absolutely extraordinary. And the claustrophobia... I mean, actually, funny that we're talking about one-room um, mm-hmm. films with Green Room and mm-hmm. um, 10 Cloverfield Lane. And Room, mm-hmm. of course, is, by, it's by definition, <laughs> largely a one-room film. Mm-hmm. And so the premise is that uh, she and her son have been imprisoned in this room with a bed and a stove and a fridge... Uh, and, a, and a toilet and a small wardrobe um, by we're not sure who initially, but clearly it's um, someone insidious, mm-hmm. um, for as long as the little boy has been alive. So the little boy's experience of the world is completely mm. restricted to the way they call it, room. They don't call it the room or a room. They call it room. And so he's literally never been outside. And it is so extraordinary. The acting between the two is, is amazing. You've got this mother who knows exactly what's going on and she knows why they're there and why they can't leave. She doesn't tell her son. And so because his experience of the world is only what's within room, she has to make every day a, a thing. They, they do their exercises, they play their games, she's teaching him stuff and talking to him about stuff and they cook and they clean and they... they, they, they they have to, I, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's so extraordinary to try oh, and explain. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's such a powerful movie. And the performances are absolutely stunning. And the dialogue is stunning. Um, and then there is a portion of when the film changes its tack, and I won't go on and say too much about that, but when she says to him, you need to know what this is all about, um, the little boy, it's so heartbreaking because um, the, the kid is, he, he doesn't like what he's hearing. And he says, mm. no, I don't like this story. I want another story. And she's like, you need to hear this story because this is the truth. And he can't get his head around wow. that because mm. his truth is that one room. So room is just extraordinary. And, um, and again, it was one of those feeling movies, mm. absolutely visceral and... Uh, and just incredibly powerful. And I think that some people might have some issues with the way the narrative then kind of goes, um, and I didn't at all. I just thought it was amazing. Mm. So you should totally watch it. Mm. Wow. What? Um, no, I, I don't want to be negative. Because oh. you've, you've, you've <laughs> set it out so perfectly. And I think this is, this is a very... We're talking about viscerality, yeah. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I didn't have you know. Films will have a resonance with some people, and they won't have a resonance. Yeah. And if it is deep set, then it might be as simple as that. You feel it, and I yeah. don't. Yeah. And for me, it just didn't. The I just didn't get that resonance. Right. In, in that whole early section of the film, so right. it didn't didn't hit me. But I definitely recommend to everybody mm. to watch mm. because it's quality film, isn't it? It's oh, good it's, performances. It, it's, really, it's a very yeah. clever conceit. Yeah. Um, yes. And important. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I love that point you make about this is the story you need to talk about it or, or need to listen to. This is this is what's going on. Mm, yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, yeah. And I, I guess to segue into my three, I like, I mean, the, the focus on feeling and, and the gut feeling. Mm. I mean, that's why we go to the cinema, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's, the, that's the joy of going to the cinema. You know, you can always appreciate the work involved <clears throat> in the film, but for a film, film to all come together 
and like we, we talked about earlier, lightning in a bottle, you know, for that to come together and then connect with you. Mm. I mean, it's such a, it is a rarity. Mm. It doesn't always happen. Mm. And I guess that's the joy of, of when it does happen. It's like, ah, oh, yes, this is why I love film. <laughs> yeah. um, my number five film is Zootopia. So we've already discussed that. Uh, and like I said, it sort of dropped off and came back on and dropped off. And I just, at the end of the day, I think the significance of its discussion around bias mm -hmm. and institutionalised racism was just too significant for me to leave off. Exactly. And it was so enjoyable to watch. Yeah. And I rewatched it again. And it looks amazing. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and, and it's song. What's that? And, and the and song. song. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, my number four film is Hunt for the Wilder People. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, which, and, and interestingly, I actually tried rewatching it the other day and kind of turned it off because I just wasn't really in the mood. <laughs> but um, I had so much. <laughs> But I had so much fun watching that movie in the cinema, yeah. and I loved the, um, the the chapter by chapter structure, yep. echoing the book. Uh, I thought um, the I thought Taika Waititi has, has really come into his own in terms of that quirky sense of humour, mm -hmm. while still having a, a sort of a pathos or a heart to the film. Uh, and and as a road movie, because you know it is a road movie, yeah. which always end in disaster, you know, so, and it kind, of, it kind of does that, but it has its cake and eats it too. It's yeah. a really kind of lovely ending. Um, just the moments of, of, of um, Ricky Baker, you know, listening to the girl in the kitchen talking about sausages or something, <laughs> yeah. and then the flake, the flake advertisements <laughs> yeah. coming through, and like only the crumbliest flakiest chocolate. Yeah. And I don't know, I just that film for me it was so significant, and I think it's the highest grossing film for New Zealand this year or really? something like that. Oh, it must be this year at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There were so many people when I went to see it. Yeah, yeah. so many people. Well, like, everybody tried, went. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I guess try. the only thing that might compete with it would be Richard McCaw. Oh, really? Uh, I doubt. I don't know. Is it comedian? Yeah. I feel like yeah, World of People is yeah, no, to much more debate. Yeah, yeah. World of People's huge. I took yeah. I, I went it took me three times to get into the cinema. I went along and it was really? sold out. Yeah. Went along wow. and it was sold out and then yeah. I and I thought I've got to pre book this, so I pre booked mm -hmm. it and when I went in there it was packed as well. Yeah. Wow. Um, I agree with you that cinema viewing for me was absolutely glorious yeah. and then I, I, I revisited it on DVD recently and was less enamoured mm, yeah. um, so I think the first time with that film the first time is the best ah. time yeah. but I do feel that if I had someone who hadn't seen it and we sat down and said you've got to watch this film I think I would enjoy it then and watch sure. it through their eyes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but still I just that to me was <clears throat> one of the most significant films now, my third film is a re very, very, very recent, in fact, last night edition to my <laughs> And I had very low expectations for this film um, and had an absolute ball watching it. And that's Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Holy Them. Holy moly. Did you? I absolutely loved it. Have you seen it? Yeah. Uh, see, for me, <laughs> you've got to realise, for me, I am a Harry Potter yeah. absolute right. nerd. And um, was really concerned that it was like, oh, you know, what's going on here? And, I mean, I was, like, fizzing through the whole film because there was, like, hints to connections to the wider sure, mythology. Sure. Um, we were driving on the way home with my friends and we're like, oh, my gosh, that's blah, 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 and blah, blah. And that event is going to turn into this event. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it looked beautiful. All of the creatures were great. I had a great time laughing at the various things that they did. And I, I, it struck me when I was sitting there watching it, and Sarah, obviously, you can come in and have a different point of view on this, um, I had no idea what was going to happen. Like I was sitting there going, I, this story, I don't know where it's going, and I was totally long for the ride. Whereas something like a Marvel film or even even World of People, like, you kind of knew the direction mm. it was going in. But, yeah. That was the part parallel I was going to make. How does that fit with, you've got this real um, fatigue for Marvel, mm. 
And I just thought when you say that, it's like, are you not? Do you not have the same fatigue for Harry Potter universe, especially with the extension, uh, extension like, of the franchise? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's probably you kind of know what it's going to be like and the well, way they're going to well, do it. That's probably that connection in terms of fatigue is why Fantastic Beasts knocked out particularly Doctor Strange from my list because mm. I thought similar connection oh, yeah. there. You know, yeah. Yeah. films that I should be kind of sick of. Um, I think when we were talking about this last night, my friends, I think the difference is, is that with Harry Potter. You know, I loved those books. I read those books. I knew that story. So every mm. Harry Potter film mm. I went to, I knew what I was in for in terms of storyline, um, but I didn't know what I was in for in terms of execution. Whereas this is an entirely new Harry Potter story that mm. I was experiencing as a film. Like, mm. I hadn't really yeah. had that experience mm. before. And, you know, they introduced the whole Wizarding World of, the, of America, so there's a whole new mythology that It was J. that world-building that with. I did like about which, Fantastic Beasts. Which is what was so brilliant about the first Harry Potter book. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it was the first time you were actually seeing something that you'd put in, yeah. that was in your head, mm-hmm. or in my case not, because I hadn't read the book. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Crazy. But anyway, but yeah, it was the first time you were experiencing the world, mm-hmm. and I do appreciate, did love Fantastic Beasts' new world, being in 1926 or, you know, late 1920s mm-hmm. New York. Oh, okay. Um, and it's, yeah, and it's fabulous. Yeah. It's it looks, a prequel series. Mm. It looks amazing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really beautiful. And, but it's so cute, Jeremy, the way you say, you know, I didn't really know what was happening or what was going to unfold. And for me, it was like, I don't have a clue what's happening. And <laughs> I'm really tired. Um, and, and I found, and so narratively, I was really, I punished it, actually, um, because I thought this isn't coherent. Um, I don't know what's going on, and therefore I'm not invested in what's going on, and therefore, and I'm I'm done with the world building now because you built the world, and I've gone in and I've gone, yeah, this is awesome. Okay, give me some stuff, um, and then because the characters were weren't built enough for me either, um, I was a bit like, oh, um, and then did actually was it was a bit like, oh, I wonder how long this is going to go for, you know? <laughs> so and I but I know that I'm in the minority. I, I've read one other review online. Um, in Village Voice, um, and he and I felt exactly the same about it. But everyone else is raving. So, mm. I, uh, and I and I'm not a Harry Potter person, and I think that would make a huge difference. Well, I think that's the big that's the big um, positive yeah. that this has in terms of my perhaps blinded blinded view. But one one of the things that will you're not a comic reader for, of Marvels. No. Yeah, because no. mm. I know I do know some people, and that that just toes them along you know? yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah I think I think a lot of my ones in my top five are probably there's, a, there's definitely elements of nostalgia or the experience of mm. I mean the experience of how you see a film is so yeah. important yeah um, that, that's uh, that's kind of why I loved Suicide Squad when I saw it right because man that was it was IMAX it was a really good print and mm. just gosh so I it was a blast kind of yeah yeah right yeah well um, just one thing I will one more thing I'll say about Fantastic Beasts is that I really appreciated there was a lot of there was a lot of just kind of uh, moments with no music, and it was just kind of dialogue that dialogue that sort of potted along, and, mm. and it was no it was pun quite, intended. Uh, <laughs> I, I, said, I said that last night with no pun intended as well. And <laughs> but you know, it was it was for a big kind of blockbustery fantasy film. There was a lot of moments of just people in rooms chatting, and yeah. and you know, I'm sure there was things flying around with magic. Yeah. But there was yeah. a lot of that kind of downtime. That's which true, and that was I really charming. liked. Yes, yeah. it was. Yeah, cool. All right, let's move on to our top two films. So um, maybe should we do our, our second, our runner-up, and we'll go around and then we'll do our okay. top movies of the year. So Max, what's this your... is a bit cheeky, but um, because I actually saw it last year, but it's come out this year. If so, it was released this year, yeah, the Lobster. Oh. oh wow! By and and I had this written down, but I don't have it well, in front a, of me. Yagos, it's a Greek name. 
Yes. It's very difficult to pronounce. Yes, Yago some, something. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. That's Anyway, um, outstanding film. It uh, took me to a place that I've never been before. Mm-hmm. And it kind of... I think, I think that The Office, what The Office did... Sorry, this is going to sound like a weird tangent. But I think what The Office did, however long ago that was, 10, 10 years ago, yeah. was huge, right? They brought this deadpan in like nobody's business and it influenced America. And I think basically... Um, American comedy has been um, trying to deal with that in some ways mm. since that point. Death of the sitcom. Yeah, yeah. And, and trying to do what, what Britain has done and taking that kind of flame. Mm. And they've stuffed it up for a long time, but I think they're starting to do it. Anyway, this takes kind of another step almost. Or, or maybe it's not another step. I think it's, it's, it's taking a little flight of fancy with it. And doing into something surrealism. Really, yeah. into surrealism. surrealism. Into surrealism. Right, thank you. Mm. Um, and I, I don't think it's going to be done again. Mm. I don't think it's... Like, it's not a progressive step where everybody's going to go, oh, that's the way you do it. But yeah, it's no. so interesting. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. so fun. So what I'm talking about is basically deadpan movie. Like, yep. <clears throat> there's no funny characters. Just uh, the dialogue is full deadpan. And it's in this crazy universe where, um, where people... Um, have to be coupled up, and if they're not coupled up... Within they, 40 days. Within 40 yeah. days, and then they get turned into an animal. Well, hang on. The, the universe is a hotel where the single people go, right? And they, they live in yes. this hotel. All the single people live in a hotel yeah. within which you enter, and within if you're not coupled up within 40 days, you will yeah. be turned into an animal. So who's seen this? <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah. 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 Of your amazing. choice. Of your choice. Oh, an yes. animal of your choice. Which, that, <laughs> so that makes it all okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And so the, the director also made Dogtooth, which I haven't seen, but I know <laughs> William so loves yeah. also. Um, and it's Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz. Rachel Weisz. Mm. Yeah. Harvey Keitel has a. Does he? Harvey Keitel. I don't remember Harvey that. Keitel. Uh, oh, was it? I, I just remember Olivia Coleman, and I, I loved her. The, but the performances are yeah. crazy. Like yeah. Colin, Colin Farrell, my favorite performance of his. Oh, and um, humor is uh, oh, untouchable. You, sorry, sorry, forget yeah. what I said about Harvey Keitel. He's not in this. I was, okay. I was. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, did did you guys? Love it. I, I, it knocked me out when I saw it. And, oh. and just the humour was just so beyond Twisted. anything that I'd seen before. <laughs> yeah. that it was just, and, and also it sustains tension throughout the film, considering mm-hmm. that there's not that much going on. It really sustains this tension. Um, they get away from the hotel and they're living in this <clears throat> crazy kind of um, world that's meant to be all right, we're now free, mm. but they take the piss out of that completely. <laughs> and so I think it, 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 it appeals to my uh, weird sense of politics and mm. how messed up things are without mm. really providing any alternative, but yeah, no, just a great. real big critique. Yeah, John C. Riley mm. was also so good in it. Always. Um, yeah, yeah uh, th- this movie was actually my number one uh, before I thought, ah, oh, it's not really fair. It's really a 2015 movie. Ah, oh, uh, gosh, I, I love the lobster. It's so mm. was it really? Was it? Gonna it was. Be it was going to be my, my wow. top. Wow. Okay, um, funny. Very nice. Uh, but yeah, agreed with everything you say, Max. I just found it so like consistently hilarious through the entire thing. But they never play anything for laughs, and that's yeah. that's what's so great about it. Yeah. Um, there's a scene where, uh, not really spoilerish, but. People are beat bopping to music, but it's in headphones, yeah. and so they're just silently dancing, and it's probably the funniest thing I've seen in yeah. a long, long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it is because of the pathos, isn't it? Yes. And yeah. that's why The Office yeah. works. Is the Office is heartbreaking, particularly actually yeah. the Ricky Gervais. Oh, oh, yeah. is it worth watching? Well, I really liked oh, it. I want to see that. Yeah. Because I thought it pitched 
pathos. Mm. I mean, like it's Which a terribly a sad movie, it's and also very yeah. funny. Yeah. That's always right. Be stuff in the office, yeah. And as you say, nothing in the lobster is played for laughs, mm-hmm. yeah, but no, they're yeah. inherent. The 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 whole premise and the whole conceit of their being there is inherently sad. Yeah. Uh, and yet the dryness of it all is fantastic. So, I also yeah. loved how um, just the title of the film gives you expectations that the film plays upon mm. through the entire runtime, uh, up, up to its final shot. Right. Uh, yeah, that. that was a really, really good yeah. feeling. Cool. What's your number two pick, Lynn? Okay, so my number two pick is Hunt for the Water People. Ah. Um, yeah, again, just a, as you said, Jeremy, a real feel-good movie. Um, Saw it in a packed house in Sylvia Park, huge screen. Um, the audience was just eating it up and like huge belly laughs mm. um, with each of the scenes. Really, really good. And then afterwards, a couple months later, I showed my mum uh, just on a small laptop screen who's never seen it before and equally as enjoyable. Oh, that's good. Mm. Getting someone else to you know, mm. experience Do, it. Did neither of you guys, or any of you actually, but mm. I'm just thinking about you guys that put it in your top fives. You didn't find it messy at all, or oh it yeah, kind of, it was the pacings. It's bizarre. all over the place. The, the chapter lamps are real different. Yeah, and yeah. it starts off kind of. I love the start. Mm-hmm. The start's a little bit dramatic and a little bit colder, a little bit, and then it kind of just goes a bit like the in the forest is yeah. great, but then it just goes. It's a blockbuster. End, and it's yeah. like, what? Oh, but, Reese Darby is a pain in the ass. Oh yeah, yeah, I, and, I agree. And I did not like Tyker's um, cameo as the as the reverend. Oh, really? or the vicar. I, 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 I love. I hated it. it. Whereas he just so really liked <laughs> that. Whereas I, I didn't yeah. at all. So I think it had heaps of flaws, <laughs> but was overall mm. just thoroughly I th- enjoyable. I think it could date. I think mm. it could date. Like yeah. that, that stuff with the social media stuff. Humor, and... I think that kind of humor could date, um, or 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 yeah, become repetitive. Very quickly, but interesting. Yeah, yeah, I um, I agree. It's it's a very messy movie, especially towards the end. Yeah. Um, but to me, I didn't really care. care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a shaggy dog story that yeah. just yeah. kept going on. I want want to see where the story would end up. Yeah. I feel like the episodic structure or, or really making that explicit mm-hmm. was a great way to for me to solve a lot of those messy issues because mm-hmm. it's like yeah. ten or eight, whatever it was, little little sections of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing that Tarantino does with his chapters. Yeah. That I think gets away with <laughs> he gets away with because his films are very messily structured mm-hmm. and they jump between timelines and all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, you know, it sort of saves a lot of those. It's a bit sneaky, isn't it? I do, and I do like that idea of kind of if you go back to Taika Waititi and you're kind of like you're talking about a shaggy dog story, and you're kind of just like, I'll oh, stuff it, you know? It's yeah. kind of just a bit like he's just like, yeah, we're just having some fun and like, yeah. 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 it's yeah, like yeah, um, yeah. like what we did in Shadows is a messy movie, but yeah. it's also amazing. It's so clever. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I, I really, really enjoyed Hunt for the Little People. Um, there's some. Uh, not only is it funny, there's some scenes of beauty that, oh my gosh, just how they shoot the bush. Like I, I could smell the bush. While watching it, yeah, and, and just I, I was there if, with if, with the character. If anybody's if anybody's listening to this from America, you are going to be in hysterics. At this no, point. Okay. Like, oh, it's not forest. Uh, We're talking native New native Zealand, Zealand, Zealand forest. Now the native New Zealand forest. <laughs> we call that bush. Right. <laughs> Whoops. Oh, on man. that note, okay. <laughs> just move on. Uh, Sarah, what's your number two pick for? Can I be a bit yeah. sneaky? We've already talked about. Green Room and um, Green Room is either my first or second film and because I don't really like to play favourites I'm not prepared to uh, pin a particular ribbon on my film so Green Room we've talked about absolutely loved it and for a moment there I was like yeah man this is my best film of the year so my 
second best, maybe, is uh, whatever. The Revenant, I'm afraid. Oh, I so, abs- you, so you're talking about your top films now. Your yeah, top two yeah films. We're, and, and you can pass me by when we get cool. back round because we've done Green Room and that mm. is in my top two. So my other in my top two is The Revenant. And um, I actually saw it just before Christmas last year, but it was coming out very early January, so it counts as a January film. Mm. And mm. even when I came out of it then, around Christmas time, I remember saying that is going to be my best film of the year because I just didn't see how it could be mm. surpassed. Um, and so The Revenant for me, we're talking about visceral viscerality, mm. right? And I felt through that entire film, and I know that it's in your isn't it? Yes. yes. Um, and I, I mean, you know, I loved, um, oh wait, Gravity, right? No. Uh, oh, that's uh, right. Okay, right. Sorry, sorry. Babel? So, Oh yeah, you see, I'm not that keen on Babel. I've got it, and I um, and I rewatched. Oh, that is yeah, one of my favorite films. That's right. Yeah, that so I rewatched Babel recently and couldn't get through it at all, having thought that I really liked it. But Birdman was fantastic last year. Mm-hmm. So what I'm what I'm kind of leading into is this whole kind of one shot or very very long shots, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I know that everyone's done them to death, and I know people have made whole films with them, like Victoria and stuff like that, and allegedly Birdman, although there mm-hmm. are cuts. But I find that sort of thing absolutely transporting. And so I settled in for The Revenant and, and got swooshed into these one shots mm. um, and tracking shots and dolly shots and blah, 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 however you want to call them. And uh, just felt everything. And I thought that Leonardo was splendid. Um, I thought the bear scene was splendid. Mm. I, I, I loved the narrative contrivances now my husband is a real problem with narrative contrivances and i respect him for it but i'm an old school kind of sucker for oh that's clever (laughs) or like that (laughs) you know when whether things tie up together at the end conveniently or whatever i don't Mm -hmm. mind that yeah right um so i loved the revenant i i I loved the opening was incredible i loved Mm. the beer stuff i loved the ending um and it probably would be in my top five if it wasn't for um, the jump the shark moment for me, which was the horse over the cliff, and I just found that it got to the point where, in fact, the cinema I was watching it in, the, the two, the two, there was a group of guys in front of me, and um, and I think it looked like like a couple of dads and their son, like it was like a, the boys' family group had got together, and they just burst out laughing at that because it was for me it got to the point where it was like how many more ridiculous things mm. can can Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> survive? Yeah, right. You know? So yeah, a little bit <laughs> like he's in a video game or something. Yeah. And he's kind of encountering mm-hmm. all these troubles and and, and, he just and kept on surviving. Yeah, and right. I thought, oh gosh, but. Until that point for me, um, I, I was really engaged in that film. I mean, that opening with the Native Americans yeah. taking them yeah. um, is, is really significant. But it's gut-wrenching. I mean, the, 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 what motivates his character to, for revenge is awful. It's really awful. See, I've, ever since that day late last year, I've been saying, oh, yeah, we'll watch that again. We'll see that again. And I have mm. never, ever got around to seeing it again. And part of me doesn't want to because I don't want to have less of an experience yeah. with it. Mm. And part of me does because I want to experience it again, hopefully mm-hmm. just as enjoyably. So I don't remember it as, as, as well as uh, mm. the details that you're mentioning. Mm. But, Speaking uh, of uh, Mexican mm. directors, that was exactly me with Children of Men, which mm. was hands oh, down my favourite movie loved of that year. Loved it. And I just, I find it very hard to return to because I'll never recapture that, that sense of awe when I, when I saw it for the first time. Whereas I, I've been back to that often. several yeah. times, oh, really? yeah, and yeah. it's all good. Oh, it's, it's, awesome. it's all good every time. It'd be cool. great to cool. teach, eh? Yeah. yeah, I've had friends teach that. So. Also with the adaptation thing. Yeah. Well, um, maybe it's a good segue for my number two film because 
I compared The Revenant to my number two film, and that my number two film was longer than The Revenant, but I felt <laughs> Revenant. I felt like Revenant was longer when I was watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is The Hateful Act. Wow. Um, and I'm a huge Tarantino fan, yeah. so I, it's always going to be, I'm always going to wave that flag. And um, The Hateful Eight, I, I, and, and, and I sort of thought about whether or not it was, because I initially had my top five films just as an alphabetical order, but I moved it to number two because the experience of watching it was, um, like, I, I remember, because was it three hours long or two It's and a half? almost three hours almost long. Almost three hours long? Yeah. I remember, like, camping out, like, actively in my head. I kind of want to go camp out in the cinema for three hours. So it was a scorching hot day. I knew that I was going to be in the cinema for three hours in, in air conditioning. So I wore, I brought some extra jumpers yeah, and things. Yeah. I had my food and my popcorn and my, you know, and I sort of curled up in this in the cinema and just went along for this ride. And um, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah, you know what? I'd... I'd... I didn't even think of that. I, th- I forgot that it was this year, actually. Mm. It feels like longer ago, but uh, that could almost have gone into my top five. Yeah, that was, looking back on it, I'm just like, that was just bloody good, like mm-hmm. really good cinema. And, and I think, um, I love, I mean, I love The Thing, and so that, that claustrophobic mm. thing in there was really impressive. <laughs> oh, the thing's amazing. Yeah. It's, it was like, it was almost like Tarantino's greatest hits, mm-hmm. which could be a criticism, um, mm-hmm. but for me, I just really enjoyed it. My other criticism... Kinda can't, it can't, kind of can't be a criticism, because that, like, you know, we know that's what Tarantino does. What he does, yeah. Yeah. He's not going to change it, really. Yeah, you always know what you're in for. Mm-hmm. And I mean, um, it, my only criticism would be, and again, this is not really a criticism, because I, that's what I enjoyed about the first time, is that it is very long, and so mm-hmm. you have to kind of commit to it. Yeah. Um, but, but do you think it's challenging? Do you think it doesn't get boring, eh? No, I mean, yeah. for me, like, there's this amazing build-up. The first hour and a half is just build-up, mm-hmm. up until that story that Samuel Jackson tells. I mean, that's the middle of the film. Mm. Yeah. And nothing happens apart from them just talking. And then it ends, of course, with... Something significant. Um, and then the whole sequence we, where someone's poisoned the coffee. Yes. And you don't know who it is. And the Agatha Christiness of it all. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. good. And just that lovely moment with Jennifer Jason Lee playing the guitar. Yes. And she knows what's going on. The audience doesn't. Yeah. You're, you're and the, 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 the focus of the camera keeps shifting between her face and then what's happening in the background. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah. then just the, the, the violence of people vomiting up blood yeah. is the first real sign of gore yeah. and then it's just and then all, it's all, hand, all yeah. on yeah, yeah. from that point and I love he, he, Tarantino does it and um, he does it in, in, in Glorious Bastards and I don't want I don't really want to spoil this but there is a great reveal in that mm-hmm. scene as well and you go oh my gosh that's brilliant which is mm-hmm. um, in Inglorious Bastards in Glorious Bastards yeah 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 that's right. sure, sure. there's a way that the, the camera reveals something about the scene that we yeah. Yeah. previously known yeah. which yeah, anyways, Hateful Eight is my number two. Did you think that that had a bit more, it seemed to have a little bit more self-referentiality uh, or self-consciousness about violence as well? Did you think that? Eight that you, over... at, at Hateful Eight just compared to the rest of his films. Oh, I really? thought there was a. I thought maybe, I wasn't completely sure, but it had one of those moments where I was like, is he trying to tell us that he he's thinking about the significance of this violence? I don't right think so. End. I think that Tarantino always <laughs> would be very un- uncharacteristic. Well, but I thought maybe he's turning over... I think he has a really clear idea of how to use violence in film. You know, you use it in two ways. You're either using it as a cathartic release, which is the, the joy of watching guts and blood and things explode on the screen, 
or you use it to really affect your audience mm -hmm. and put across how horrific this is. And, and a good example of that is in Django Unchained, where you've got the Mandingo fighting, which oh, is yeah. horrific to yeah. watch, and very intentionally so. Mm -hmm. But then you've got Django blasting people to bits at the end of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Very, two very different types of violence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what you'll notice is that the horrific violence, you actually don't see that much of it. So the Mandingo fighting... But it fighting, makes you feel sick. Yeah. Whereas yeah. the and end... it's the, same, it's the same thing in Reservoir Dogs, the ear-cutting scene. You yeah. don't see it. No. The same thing in Pulp Fiction, the adrenaline shot. You actually don't see it happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You see the needle, you see the dot on the chest, you see the zooming in the faces, you see that, but you, you see him jerking his hand down, but it's all kind of concealed. Whereas that end, end scene in Django Unchained is exhilarating, yeah. where the whole house is being blown up and yeah. blood is flying everywhere and it's all... And maybe it's the music, I think. I can't remember what it's set to. Some sort of hip hop or something, Gen maybe. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, oh, is it? Oh, and, and, it's, and it's exhilarating. Yeah. So I, yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I don't. I think Probably I would not. say he's he's very conscious mm -hmm. about how he's using violence. But I think so. Does anyone here met Quentin Tarantino? Oh well, that's oh, <laughs> no. worth celebrating. Just me. Just me? Oh. So, <laughs> you've not just met him. You have interviewed. I have interviewed him, him. and the night before. Because the, um, the, the palaver around setting up the interview was something I hadn't experienced before with the PR people and stuff. And um, the night before, I got very strict instructions by email um, to say that I, would not, that I needed to send them my list of questions and that uh, we were not to talk to him about um, violence in films. Mm. And I thought, and this is that typical thing, isn't it, where you're like, oh? Oh, I hadn't really thought about doing that. Why not? And then you look online and you see all these interviews where he has, you know, walked out on journalists who have said, don't you think your films are quite violent and all that sort of thing? Yeah. And I was a bit like, well, I wasn't going to say that anyway because I'm not interested in that because, of course, his films are violent. And I mean violent. And I've watched them religiously since 1992, I think it was, with Reservoir Dogs. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it ain't no thing anyway, but it was a little bit like red rag to a bull. Um, so, so there was no question of discussing that with him. But for me, what was very much more interesting about The Hateful Eight is, you know how in all of those earlier films, well, maybe not all, but yeah, yeah. No, all of the earlier films, there's a lot of pop cultural references. And mm -hmm. he's so well known for the use of particular songs yeah. in the ear cutting scene, for example, or this chatting about the fact that in Belgium, they call it a royale with cheese mm -hmm. or, or or whatever. Amsterdam, yeah. right. Um, they're all Flemish, aren't they? No, <laughs> no they're not. Um, and and I, I did ask him on this occasion about Hateful Eight that it seemed as though the substance of the dialogue was actually very much more about contemporary issues of society mm. rather than that whole yep. pop cultural thing, you know, and had that been a conscious um, mm. choice that he had made and that sort of thing. But obviously with Django Unchained, it was very much a conscious choice to situate a film and to, to discuss issues of, of race. race. I mean, he, I've seen an interview yeah. with him, and, and they've brought up the fact that race plays such a well, racial commentary in mm -hmm. the States, plays such a big part of both Django and Hateful Eight. And he yeah, says, yeah. well, to be honest, I feel like that's what I can offer to the Western genre. It's something that has not really been adequately mm -hmm. explored, yeah. not from the African-American perspective. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know enough about the Native American representation in, in, in Western films. I imagine it's not the greatest on, on the whole. Um, but yeah, the African-American discussion and how he can, he can offer that to the mm -hmm. film. Yeah. Right, so we move on to our number oh, one. One more thing about Hateful oh, yeah. Eight, which is um, I, I think the joy of watching it for me was it felt very much like a very extended game of Mafia. Ah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> which I, I think I've talked to you about, uh, Jeremy. 
Um, Which for our listeners, Mafia, think of it as a, 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 a party version of Survivor. Yeah. It's very much like Survivor. You have the, hidden the roles and yeah. you have to use deduction and bluffing to try and figure out who each each person around the table is. So it's an IRL game? Yes. Oh, yes, right, is. okay. Very, very fun. See how I use video game language? <laughs> What's IRL? In real, In real life. life. So it's actually oh, yeah. a game that you play like a parlor game. Yes. It's, it's not like a video game. No, no it's right. a parlor game. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Funny. Um, and that was like it was the primary source of enjoyment just yeah. trying to figure out who was telling the truth yeah. and seeing people's shifty glances mm. and everyone sitting in a again one location yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then as the camera pans because it's widescreen you can see everything mm. the more that the characters learn the more you as the audience learn and it's yeah, exactly. oh my gosh and the Ennio Morricone score oh man yes, that, so, good. so good in fact that's the best score this year in my opinion I can't think of another film that has a better score than that. It's just Captain incredible. Captain America Civil War. No. That's <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. Uh, number one film, Max? My number one film was The Salesman. Oh. Does anybody know what that no. is? No. No. Uh, so that's uh, the latest <laughs> Sean Pick. <laughs> <laughs> so you see, my first, my, my fifth, fourth, and third were kind of pretty kind of classic and things that we've all mm. talked about but yeah I was a bit worried that these would be out of the box but Salesman is um, Eskar Farhadi oh I have um, seen it yes yes yes, yeah. yes, yes. I saw it's it terrific. at the film festival um, this is the filmmaker that created um, a, a, a separation. separation oh cool and this was just um, a near realist classic of its I, I think I, I mean all his films are probably going to be like that um, mm. Iranian um, filmmaker, um, very slow build up, um, and you just kind of slowly realise that you are in the middle of a shitstorm, and um, and the drama is intense and it's <laughs> grueling, and it just builds up and builds up and builds up, and and then you're just in the middle of it, and 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 you have to deal with these hardcore um, moral issues, and um, so it kind of reminds me of I don't know maybe a really good Hitchcock film where you're kind of like. Oh, this is fine to watch. I'm watching it. Okay. This it is normal. So this is normal. Mm, totally and then you, it just starts building up around you, and you don't even realize how exciting it is. And then suddenly it's an hour and a half into the film, and everything's going down. Yeah. Mm. And it's so real, realistic as well, though. Isn't oh, yeah. it? That's what's yeah. so amazing. There's no surrealism, there's no, no fantasy, there's yeah. no comic book, there's no animation. So I guess in that sense, it, it, it almost goes in a weird way with Lobster that it's, it doesn't give anything to the audience, it doesn't force you to think anything. Cool. But it deals with these really difficult moral issues of um, basically this this um, this guy has gone out, um, left his wife at home, um, and he says he's coming back in five or ten minutes or something. And she and, and someone else turns up in between that time, rings the doorbell from down below, and she goes, "Oh, okay, it's my husband," and and kind of opens the door from him remotely. She jumps in the shower. And then the man comes up and um, beats her, potentially rapes her, although it's unclear what's ex- what exactly Assaults happened. Assaults her in some Assaults way. Assaults her, yeah. yeah. And then for the rest of the film, you know, it's kind of like, it's not actually about who did it. We find out who did it quite early on, mm-hmm. but um, the main character gets in control of the situation and confronts this man. Don't say any more. Okay. Okay. It's a plot. Yeah. Don't say yeah. any more. <laughs> but it's, it's intense. Yeah. It's, it's more about... And he sells this relationship and how things are going to pan out with them. Mm, Cool. Um, Amazing, uh, affecting film. Yeah, and because it's also sort of about truth and who's telling the truth. And and, I mean, it's it's set in Iran, isn't it? Aren't all his films set in Iran, in Mm -hmm. in Persia? Um, And 
And so, yeah, there's all these issues of the fact that she's a woman and yeah. ain't nobody should be going anywhere near a, a woman. Um, Which and, is dealt with in the most weighty yes, fashion. Yes, because the just... shame of it all is mm. so extraordinary and, and, and the, the, the issues of, well, you, you say you can't remember what happened, mm. so how do we even know, and blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And it's all secrets and lies and stuff, isn't it? Mm. Well? Oh, cool. Mm. I didn't even, so, I hadn't, you yeah. might have mentioned it, but I hadn't even mm. really mm. heard of it. Um, and so I think to kind of lay a very loose narrative over my top five, I think, and this is probably a bit contrived really, but... Um, I've, I've noticed that there's a big theme of kind of the fighting against the power that mm-hmm. is. You know, Handmaiden has this issues of domination. Tickled is the the big corporate guy. Zootopia is the the man behind the scenes. Lobster, in a way, is dealing about how messed up our society is. And then mm-hmm. finally, Salesman deals with actually how we might make changes to that and how we might deal with hatred and a more in a different way yeah mm. nice so and I think that's what grabbed me about it was awesome. just dealing with the micro specifics of how do you deal with a relationship of great violence basically yeah. or, or a situation of great violence yeah mm. and we yeah wow nice Very William cool. number one film okay. I think I already know what it is okay yes me too <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you do deduce okay so my number one film of course is The Handmaiden um, ah, yes. I I love this movie so much. Um, uh, yeah, maybe maybe I just like the director. Um, Stoker was also my number I one film of that film. year, mm. and I know it's a movie with problems, and I am very conscious of those problems, but I love it anyway. Mm. And that's kind of the same with Handmaiden. I think Handmaiden to me is um, Park Chan Wook's strongest work. I. I personally feel that I'd agree um, it's the most consistent thematically um, I mean all this stuff is beautiful but this the camera if you haven't seen it the camera is like magic it glides mm. it mm. follows people around in impossible spaces mm. and it does that thing where you you see something and then the movie shows you just a little bit more later on mm. and then a little bit more mm. and so the more you learn the more you learn about the world and how the the characters and the plot actually do things, and, mm. and how everything actually comes together. So through the different perspectives? Through different perspectives, right. yes. The movie is split into thirds, yeah. um, and each third, well, the first two thirds are shown from two different perspectives, from two different characters, um, and it does a very Back to the Future Part 2 type thing where, you know, it's kind of askew. What should have occurred did not occur, at least not in the way that you were expecting. Yeah. Mm. Um, very, very beautiful. Uh, I was talking... So, with Max, your, your movies are all about some, some sort of control, some sort mm. of rebelling against control. And I think for my movies, it's just... It's a real personal thing. Like, I, I was buzzing using that word again. Mm. Um, there, there's uh, certain scenes in The Handmaiden, especially near the end, where there's catharsis and there's... Um, Let's just call them the goodies, uh, for lack of a better term. Mm. Uh, railing up and defeating, defeating, finger quotes, the baddies. And when those scenes happened, like, I, my fingertips <laughs> were, were feeling like pins and needles. I was on the <laughs> edge of my seat. I'm sure my pupils were dilating. Yeah. Like, I was feeling such, such joy and such just uh, enthusiasm and energy with the characters, just because they had gone through so much hardship, mm. so much uh, crap, 
And I did not feel that in any other movie I saw this year. So that wow. is my animated. Wow. That's my number one. Mm. And the mise en scene and the, yeah. the, the, the costuming and everything. When you say the beautiful with the beautiful photography, yeah. but also what it was, what was being photographed. Oh was my just goodness! Sensational. Yeah. How how um, the director uses the space of the screen yeah. is absolutely astonishing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and just in terms of general artistic control. Yeah, it's just like it is a movie, and it's a block of. Great entertainment with mm-hmm. issues in it. It's fantastic. Yeah. I had a bit of a panic early, early, early on because I thought... Because there was so much I wanted to see because I'm a real magpie for beautiful mm-hmm. wallpaper mm-hmm. and beautiful things. <laughs> and the camera was moving too fast for me. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to be able to cope if I can't spend longer looking at that dress mm-hmm. or, you know, taking in that shirt <laughs> yes, or put me back that. on that wallpaper or something. <laughs> and then I just had to, like, let it go mm-hmm. um, and hope it all happened. Can I just say, I think it's hilarious that this film is ranking so high for you all and nobody's mentioning... The blue is the warmest colour esque lesbian sex scenes. <laughs> I mean, it was eye popping. Well, well, it's, yeah. it's there, I the guess. Sex, like, you <laughs> forgot about that? The, uh, the sex scenes in this film, it is. It's, it's oh. like a Korean blue is the warmest colour mm-hmm. to me. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought that's a great film. I thought the sex yeah. was eye popping. And, and, and if anything, being the only woman around the table, I suppose if anything, part of me did think. By the way, I've met director Park as well. He signed a Stoker poster for me. We didn't exactly have chats because he doesn't speak English. Mm -hmm. Do you know that on set, um, when he made Stoker, of course, with Nicole Kidman and um, Matthew 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 Good Good Mm -hmm. and um, Mia Wasiskowska and people, um, he, he directs them through an interpreter. Wow. Um, so he manages to do that whole That's beautiful so cool. film with an English-speaking cast, and he's Korean. Is he learning English? Don't he, I don't think he thinks he needs to. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, so my only thing, same my thing with Blue is the Warmest Colour, is you've got a male director, yeah, and these two very, very lithe, well. beautiful young women, yeah. and he's and because apparently in that film, they like shot for days yeah, on one sex scene, yeah, and it was yeah. literally exhausting. Mm. So... You know, um, I think it's commendable that those young women, I think one of the young Korean actresses, I think it's a, it's a breakout role for her mm-hmm. and she hadn't been in anything before. Yeah, yeah. That's full on mm. having that be. I mean, dramatically and narratively, it's a fabulous film and yeah. dialogue and blah, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. that aspect as well. Yeah, it wouldn't... Um, it's quite I don't know full if I wanna, on. The, uh, politically and, 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 and in ter- terms of these issues, it wouldn't surprise me if Korean <laughs> culture has something to do with this. That that would be more okay there, where younger people and females are more dominated than they are in the West. Right. Mm-hmm. It's hard, yeah. though, isn't it? Because I, I know with blue is the warmest color. There, were, there is some contra- controversy around those two actresses coming out after the film, being like, "We didn't really know what we were yeah. signing up for." Yeah. He kind of just told us what to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely see that. It's also very interesting in terms of the handmaiden because the handmaiden is. Also, a very very feminist movie. Yes, it is. Um, well, because it's um, it's a from based from on feminist it. books. Yes. So mm. absolutely right, lesbian yeah. feminist books, and so mm. that's legit. Ads um, written by a woman. Da da da. And especially in the the final two acts of the movie, becomes like so much about female empowerment. Yeah. And about breaking breaking away from the patriarchy and mm. making the patriarchy suffer. Yeah. Um. That and we've kind of alluded to this before. It ends with um with let's just say a, a tableau that is uh <laughs> it's a little out there. Um, so, and, yeah. I don't tell me. No, okay, no. We, we didn't quite know what to make of it, and then we thought of maybe it is intentional, and, and or it because it's be. it's so 
it's so artificially staged. Mm. Um, and so it's just going back to the, fun, the um, uh, funny games. I was going to say funny people. No, yeah, yeah. The funny games thing where the audience is is part of the whole thing. And it, yeah, it is making kind of a statement. criticizing his, in some ways his own work or our, what we've just been through. Yeah. Which but if is he's kind making of self-destructive. But he's, yeah, but he's kind of saying, look, we've just enjoyed this, but let's maybe yeah. at least at least be critical about what we've just enjoyed. Yeah, but that's so hypocritical. It is. Well, it is, but... Hey, you viewers, you are complicit in what's just (laughs) happened, and you've just been voyeuristic, but I'm the one who put this on for you to be voyeuristic and to explore your natural human tendencies. Yeah. I guess the only... the only thing that might um, justify that is if he's thinking this is then a launch pad for different thinking in the future. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fair, fair yeah. point to make. Anyway. All right, let's yeah. end it there. Um, so my number one film of the year, and are you happy for us to move, carry yep. on from you? My number one film of the year is Finding Dory. Oh, oh you little cutie. I, <laughs> I, watched, I watched it again last week, and I cried again. Oh. <laughs> The shells. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mommy loves purple shells. I just had such I just had such a good time in this film. I think I love Finding Nemo and I was really like, oh sequel, really? And for me that to, to create a film with a similar plot but a very different message about it's okay to have a disability and you can still offer something to the people you love was such a powerful message. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved Hank the Octopus. I'm secretly very, well, not very secretly. I'm quite afraid of octopus, so I think it was octopi. So I thought it was quite <laughs> um, And I just, I thought it was really beautiful to look at. Any film that has a joke about Sigourney Weaver is going to be good in my books. And, um, yeah, I, I think, um, but any comments on Funny Dory? It was nice. I didn't like it nearly as much as you did. Um, I felt it. And very much was in that that space of yeah, um, it's it's good. Uh, Pixar is always you know has this seal of quality, um, but I did feel that it paled to Finding Nemo, unfortunately. Um, All right, I, I just enough. thought I liked Finding Nemo a lot more. Fair enough. Yeah. I guess if I'm to, to take a, a page out of Max's book in terms of looking at my top five films and looking at a theme. They're all very much about escapism. Like all five mm. of my movies have uh, sort of sort of swept me off away from my mm. my um, stressful teacher life. But mm. all had a really clear social commentary edge. So mm-hmm. Zootopia, we've already talked about that. Uh, Fantastic Beasts has a really clear um, social commentary edge about suppressing magic mm. as a metaphor for um, and not just um, sexuality oppression, but well, just differences, just differences, just, eh? just suppressing mm-hmm. people who are different. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. Um, Hateful Eight. We've talked about the racial commentary there. Mm-hmm. Hunt for the Water People. I always, I just the moment with any films with young Marty or Pacifica cat protagonists that are dealing with poverty mm-hmm. just always gets me for obvious yeah. reasons, being that I'm teaching in that environment. And then Finding Dory. You know, the the, the disability yeah. commentary was was really commendable. Yeah. Um, look, we've we've sort of we've running we're really running out of time. This is a double episode today, listeners. Um, and I think what we can do with our wildcards is maybe we'll go around and say our wildcard film. You have to limit your comments to maybe two sentences. Sure. And then we'll wrap it up. Yep. So, Max, okay. what's your wildcard? My wildcard pick was uh, Eat That Question, a documentary about Frank Zappa. (laughs) That's a cheeky plug for Frank Zappa, probably. It's a great little introductory film for Frank Zappa, and I really enjoyed um, getting to see some things that I'd never seen about him. 
Excellent. William, what's your wildcard? So I'm going to be cheeky as well. Uh, It's actually a double feature, but because the films are linked so closely, they're from completely disparate worlds. It is Gods of Egypt by Alex Proyas and League of Gods by Cone Pui and Bernie Young. So uh, I I need to talk about this just a little bit uh, to to, to get some context. Two sentences. Two sentences. Okay. They are batshit insane. <laughs> uh, so, so League of Gods is a uh, it's a Chinese uh, Hong Kong co- co-production, but it shares with Gods of Egypt CGI that is so bad that it reaches a form of art. Like, <laughs> and then it's all about mythology and gods, but nothing means anything. Characters are introduced and disappear, oh and they're introduced God. again. There is some crazy shit going on, you guys. I would highly recommend both movies. Um, so, Gods of Egypt has a scene where Ra, played by Jeffrey Rush, is on board a spaceship, a literal spaceship, and he's shooting at a giant cloud monster with a magical staff. Okay, whereas League of Gods includes a uh, character who's a CGI child in the lair of the Sea King, who has dragon prosthetic makeup on, oh, uh, who sends all his goons in squid makeup to dogpile him. The child then uses his urine and atomic farts to blow away all of these good people. And it is the (laughs) heartiest I have laughed all year in any aspect of my life. Oh, yeah, brilliant. I love that. Okay, um, Sarah, what's your wild card pick? Well, my wild card is the Korean film Train to Busan. Oh, Um, nice. You mentioned it earlier, Max, and I gave you the the um, sign across the table. Far out Brussels sprout. I didn't have to review this film, and that has no bearing on why it was so enjoyable, but I haven't ascribed stars to it. Um, So, Korean movie set basically in Seoul Station with uh, an outbreak of a zombie virus, and um, the would-be survivors jump on a train to head out to the suburb of Busan, hence Train to Busan, um, directed by Sangho Yong, and um, absolutely exhilarating. Like, I'm not into... Uh, particularly into vampire, certainly not into vampire movies. Um, there are a whole lot of genres I don't really care much for. Zombie movies are okay. This one was superb. It's so highly recommended, and I'm absolutely delighted that in the same year the directors released Soul Station, which is obviously the companion piece because mm. that's the people who got stuck in the station and didn't manage <laughs> to get on the train to Busan. Is this the animated one? Um, I don't. No, I don't know. I haven't seen Soul Station. Mm. I, well, I I heard there's an animated film to com, to, to companion piece. Well, yeah. maybe that's maybe it is, and it, but it's a companion story. It's mm. the people who didn't get on the train. Mm. So uh, I would actually watch that. So yeah, it was awesome. Nice, excellent. My wild card film is Poye. Oh, yeah, good. The New Zealand documentary. Yes. I I cried in that one as well. I cried a lot this year, <laughs> uh, and yeah, I thought it was. I mean, the only reason it's, it's not on my top five, and it was in my top five for a long time, is because I think that unless you know the film, and you know the song, yeah. uh, you perhaps wouldn't connect with it in the same way that mm-hmm. someone who knows the song well. Um, but yeah, and I guess just to wrap up our entire conversation, I've just been doing a little tally of, of films and giving them, ascribing them points oh. according to um, where they place them on our lists. And Zootopia has come out as... Our, I guess our group yeah, number one. Yeah. It's appeared in three of our lists, and yeah, based on the numbers, it's it's quite high. So mm. there you go, Zootopia. Would we be happy to claim that as our cinema and context film of the year? Yeah, sure. Why not? Sure. Yes. Okay. Anyways, listeners, thank you for listening uh, for this double whammy episode. We hope you have a fantastic summer break. Those of you in the southern hemisphere, or a winter break in the northern hemisphere. 
and we will see you, well, we will talk to you again in the new year. Until next time, ka kite ano.